All right, everybody, we are here again. Father Sean here. This is the last round for the simple teachings on the revealed God. And we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of material. Hopefully it was simple. I know at times it was probably not so simple. Sorry about that. Hopefully at least some of the the, the broader brushstrokes at least kind of stuck in your, your heart and soul there. That's kind of the goal here. But I thought maybe at the beginning here, as this is the last one, we'll just kind of do a full, full, full review of where we have, uh, where we, what we've talked about. So I think we, I'll probably miss something, but uh, I'm not trying to hit every detail. Just trying to look at the broad stroke, the broad, broad flow of this. So we kind of looked at the very beginning. What do we mean by this revelation? Who is revealing himself? Well, it is God who is revealing himself. That's pretty obvious. It's not too complicated, is it? And this God that is revealing himself is revealing himself to be coming from the all other. You know, he is the almighty, he's the other, he's the transcendent God, he's beyond us. And yet, by the simple fact that he has stepped out of eternity, he has pulled apart the curtains that separate the eternal from the temporal, the spiritual from the material, he does that for us. And we learn of his greatest attribute, that is love. God is love. I'm going to highlight that a little bit at the end here to clarify what we mean by that. Uh, I mean, it doesn't take much clarification, but just kind of honing in how we speak of God. And then we know that his first way of revelation was actually in writing the book of creation, if you will. And as God created the world, he put the stamp of himself in it, just as your children will have the stamp of yourself in them, both in the, the physical things, but then also in the, the various personality attributes. And the same thing we can say of this world. This world, especially us being kind of the, the top point of creation, we have the most uh, direct image of God because we are made at the highest point of creation. And so this is the Lord. This is God. But still, that's pretty dang vague. We really have a hard time in getting at all the good stuff that is who God is. And so God decided that he would not just leave us with the book of creation as the only source of revelation, but he would also add a direct revelation, uh, the revealing of himself in a direct and manifest way. So, and this begins with Abraham. Now, Abraham, you know, I didn't get into too many of the details there. I mean, I've talked about Abraham. I've talked about Moses. I've talked about, you know, Jesus being the, the fullness of revelation. But really there in the Old Testament, we start to get just glimpses of who God is. We don't have a whole lot of material to work with. I mean, the Bible is like, you know, however, like a thousand pages from the Old Testament, but at the same hand, it doesn't give us kind of like a, it's not a catechism. It doesn't teach us directly who God is. It teaches us, excuse me, it does teach us directly who God is, but it does so in a veiled way, in a hidden way. And it takes time and understanding and future revelation to clarify, to look backward and see like, oh, this is what was going on there. How was I supposed to know? Well, you know what? We really couldn't have known because we just didn't have what it takes to receive fully. So the Trinity, it had roots early in the Old Testament, 
but at the same hand, it only came to its fullness later on in church history even. Because even with Jesus Christ, we see that the Trinity very, very clearly. But the word Trinity in the sense of God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one divine nature, one divine essence, but three different persons, that didn't come out explicitly so as, a, as an official teaching until you know a couple hundred years later. But what we do have greatest of clarity from the New Testament is Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of revelation. He is God made accessible. He is God made incarnate. And we can ask him, who are you? And you know, he has stuff to say. He's the son of God. He, you know, he says, yeah, that's right. Peter, you said I am the son of the living God. You got it. That's right. That's the answer. We heard it from the voice of the Father from above. This is the key of the revelation of who God is, that there is this eternal dynamic of Father and Son. And that dynamic entered into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, who had took on fully and totally the human nature. That's crazy. That is amazing. And yet he still maintained his divine nature. He still maintained that eternal relationship with the Father. And the Holy Spirit is that love that unites them. So this relationship of the Son and the Father is the key of all revelation that we've talked about. And that there is. It's not like, oh, I forgot to talk about something else in addition and just ignored that. No, this is the, the highest point. This is the, the best thing, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the eternal God. Boom. And he has been from all eternity, and he is in the flesh still, that eternal son, which is amazing because his flesh is not eternal. <laughs> I mean, it will now endure forever because it sits at the right hand of the Father, but it was created one day. So just want to really, really highlight that a bunch of bunch. And then I kind of looked at a lot of the history here. We had two different times looking at the history, and really that first day was the most important bit of the history, that early church, that real focusing in on and clarifying who we're talking about as Father, Son, and Spirit. And that is really key. So, so, I mean, the ultimate statement that we get from that is the definition of Chalcedon, where I'm not going to quote it here, but it's that God is one, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each three persons, but sharing in the one essence, and Jesus Christ, while sharing in that one essence, he also shares in the fullness of the essence of humanity. And those two are united in the person of Jesus. They don't mix. They don't mingle. They are not separate, though, either. They are united in the one, distinct in accordance with their nature, but yet united and not you know, squished together like you would pour apple juice and orange juice together. Not like that at all. They are unique. And yet they are in the same glass, if you will, if you want to use that juice analogy. And that was huge. The battle of saints and sinners there. The council of the church. You know, the emperors getting involved. I mean, this is just some great stuff. I wish someone would write some, like, good books on this. Like, this would be just so fun to read about. You know, having uh, Athanasius come in and, boom, come in there strong and, like, really come in clear with his teachings and show how heroic he was. Uh, I think also uh, St. Nicholas... You know, good old Saint Nick. And one of these councils, he came in there and he 
rumor has it, or not more than rumor, like the history has it, some of the history, is that he punched a guy in the face. <laughs> so take that for what it is. I can't guarantee that happened. And I can't guarantee it did not happen. And so all these triumphs came out. And the triumphs were the church standing firm on who God is and who God says he is and her fidelity to that. Continuing to understand more deeply what that means, but her standing firmly on the reception of the tradition of who God is from the very beginnings of the church when Jesus ascended to the Father. Now today, this should be pretty simple. I'm going to talk about how we can speak of God in an accurate way because we don't want to speak about him in the wrong way. So I'm going to talk about language around God. And then secondly, I will talk about just a story story of St. Thomas Aquinas. I feel both of these are going to be kind of nice parts to conclude with, to conclude this series with. So let's begin with a prayer as we uh, embark on this last little bit here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for letting us share these, these little videos, dear Lord. Thank you for the technology that allows us to communicate in this way. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that flows down to us through the church, through church history, through all the saints and the sinners, Lord, you continue to communicate your love and your saving will and your divine presence, and we count on that. Purify us from all sins that keep us away from you, that keep your presence uh, at arm's length. Help us to have an open heart, an open ear, an open reception of what you have for us today. And let us go forth to love you and to know you more deeply. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. All right. So we got a good squad of people on uh, on Facebook Live here today. And to all those who might be listening to this on the podcast, Father Sean's podcast, as I call it. <laughs> so creative, aren't I? And uh, anyone who's getting the, the emails from this, well, thanks for being with me here. This has been great. So I want to talk about St. Thomas Aquinas because the story that I'm going to talk about is his story. But then also the unique teaching is his teaching. He, he, I mean, he's just the most wonderful of theologians. He really, really is. So he lived and taught and wrote in the 1200s. And he was a genius, like a total genius. Some people actually think he was a, an idiot savant because there's, I know one story, he was at some fancy banquet and he's there and he's just pondering all these theological truths, really not really engaging socially. And all of a sudden he blurts it out, aha, I have it. And he kind of just was excited about how he realized how he could triumph over someone's dumb idea. <laughs> and that got him all excited. And that kind of interrupted the dinner. He's clueless. Uh, he was also very heavy, uh, kind of a heavy fellow. And because of this, because of his social distance, uh, and his devotion to uh, scripture. But that social distance confused people, I guess this is what I want to say, is that social distance confused people to think that he really wasn't smart because he wasn't the one engaging in, in the, the discussions. He wasn't going to you know the study groups. But in reality, he didn't need to. <laughs> he was just a genius. And But because he was big also, they called him the dumb ox. So that is the saint's nickname. Now, we also have such cheerful, famous nicknames that will endure for 800 years, just like this has. 
uh, he had the unique perspective to write really at a, a unique time of history because one of the church fathers, so the early church had great theologians that came very clearly forth in a time of theological crisis. And these were called church fathers. They had a pastoral role. They also had a teaching role. And they were very essential to the uh, to clarification of the church's identity. And the last of these, sometimes St. Bernard of Clairvaux will will kind of have this. And I'm trying to think when he was. I want to say he was like the 1100s. And so St. Thomas Aquinas, he came after this period. You know, He's not going to be a father of the church. No one's claiming that for him. There might be someone, but not many people do. But he's looking over all that. He's reading all these writings. He's understanding it, and he's synthesizing, and he's He's kind of making these connections, and he puts it into a, a form of a systematization. Now, also at this time, there are new discoveries of philosophy from the ancient philosophers, primarily Aristotle, who had a fairly distinct teaching from Plato. Now, the church had obviously adopted, I think I talked about this when I spoke on creation, the church receives what is good, what is true, what is beautiful from whatever corner. And the church had the opportunity to receive this from Plato, but it really hadn't had the opportunity to really receive a lot from Aristotle. But Aristotle's works come back on the scene, just as St. Thomas Aquinas is coming on the scene. And he uses this philosophy to really come to a, a deeper understanding of reality, of God's creation. But then he's also using some of these distinctions that Aristotle makes to make some distinctions about who God is and the reality of the divine. So, it's very, very unique. Uh, just a fun little note here. He would dictate his writings, not just to one secretary, but to multiple secretaries. He'd be like, oh yes, this is a writing on truth. Do, 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 boom. And then I'm gonna go over here, and this is on my, my great synthesis of theology, the Summa Theologiae. Well, do, 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 And then I'm going to go over here. And then I'm going to write my Summa Gentiles. That is uh, Summa Contra Gentiles. That's his, his kind of like his uh, missionary manual. Except for geniuses. That's really hard to read. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there he is. He's going through all these. And he's just kind of dictating one at a time. And he'll circle back and just kind of add the next little bit. I mean, just think of the mental gymnastics to do that. Gymnastics, not in the sense of uh, being chintzy. But gymnastics in the sense of like, whoa, he can really do these crazy, amazing things and bring forth the radiance of truth in them. So it's just really amazing. So I really want to introduce the person of St. Thomas Aquinas. If you're having a hard time understanding what I'm talking about in this series, we'll pray to him. He is the patron saint of students. Probably teachers, too. God bless me. Uh, pray for me, St. Thomas. So one of the themes that he really hits on is the theme of analogy, the theme of analogy. And so one of the questions that is kind of talked about is, how can we speak accurately of God? We talked already in the series about that he's transcendent, he's beyond us, he's above us. But at the same hand, there's real revelation. We can, he shows himself to us and we can receive who he is. But how do we mean when we say God is good? Is he good like a table? Is he good like the sky? Is he good like a human being? Or is he good in some other way? Well, let's think about this. 
So there's a couple different categories that I think are important to highlight as we introduce the idea of analogy, because the analogy will really give us the open door to speak about God in a true way. John is a man. Mike is a man. Am I using man in the same way? Yes. Am I using it in exactly the same way? Yes. I didn't say John equals Mike. I said John is a man. Is a man. And that same manhood is shared by Mike and John equally. So they, they share that. Now, in a different way, in a different sense, let's look at the word bank. Boom. I just made a bank shot if I, if I had a basketball. I surely would have made a bank shot all, all day. That's what I'd do. So a bank shot uses bank in one sense. But a bank deposit uses the word bank in a different sense. Are they a little bit similar? The answer is no. They have no similarities in meaning at all. They are totally different. So an analogy is going to use the sameness and difference. Okay, let's give a few examples here. So food is good, house is good, flowers are good, and your dog Fido is good. Now what does that mean? Do we mean good in the exact same sense? Uh, not in the exact same sense. Yes, in a general way, because the food is good, the house is good, the flowers are good, but you might make the argument, you know, Fido is good, but Fido is good in a, in a better way, in a more real way. He's got a better good because he's man's best friend. Oh, how sweet, very nice. Now let's take this sameness and introduce continual, a little bit more form of difference. Food is good. A human being is good. Are they the same form of good? Very clearly not. Are they a totally different form of good? No, because we mean the same thing here. These are desirable things. That's kind of what goodness is. It's desirability. Now, a food, any kind of food, is desirable in and of itself to maintain the health of the body. But it only has a relative sense of good. The goodness of a human being is an absolute good. It always has its desirability or ability, uh, capacity, or rather the, it is due to be loved. It is, we human beings are owed love. And that is what we mean by good. It's, it's greater, you know? Am I owing love to my food? No, I'm, I'm owing thankfulness to it, I guess, but only in a limited way. So we begin to see that there is a deeper sense of goodness. We are not good in the sense of food. We are good in a greater, more deeper sense. Now, there's a similarity still, but the difference is beginning to expand. Now, think about this with God. Food is good. Ice cream is really good. But God is good. It's like capital G. It's like super good. God is super good. And what we mean by this as Christians, and this is where we need to make the technical definition of of an analogy is there is similarity and difference together. Now the divine analogy, I'm going to repeat this a couple times here, the divine analogy when we use our human language to speak of divine realities, there is a similarity and a difference, but the difference is infinitely greater than the similarity. When we say that I am good as a human being and God is good, we can mean it sincerely for us, and we can mean it sincerely for God, but the difference of the, the, the sense of goodness is infinitely greater. 
God is so far above and beyond and transcendent that, you know, the goodness drips from him down to us. And what we mean by good is so, it, it's, it's like a, a glimpse of a shadow when, when, we're, when we're talking about like the full radiance of the sun. When we're, it's like a flashlight compared with the sun. The similarity is real. It is true. When we say God is good, we can mean it because it's true. But we always must have in mind that God is so much, so good that it has a sense of goodness that is infinitely beyond our capacity to understand that. So when God is merciful, when God is just, when God is holy, when we say these things, we speak of them in truth. We speak of them in truth, however, only if we realize that the difference in what we mean by merciful, just, holy, good is infinitely greater. That God is so far beyond us that we have to really respect how different he is and how other he is and really also respect his revelation that he has created himself and said that he is good that he is merciful, that he is loving. So, uh, again, it might be a difficult concept here, so I'm just going to repeat it again. When we're talking about divine analogy, we're talking about a real similarity, which allows us to speak truly. But we're also speaking of a greater difference, that God is very far beyond us. And, and we need to respect that and not say God is good in the way that we are good. No, he is so much better than that. So, hopefully that's helpful there. Kind of giving a little perspective on all that I've talked about. You know, I've tried to highlight what revelation is and who God is. But at the same hand, you know, just touching the surface here. God is so much more than, than how we are able to understand him. He's so much more than what our little minds can able, are able to understand. And our minds can understand a lot. But God's presence, his, his realities is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. It's infinitely a lot, okay? And, and, and I just have to minimize my teaching here, saying like, what I taught you is true, but at the same hand, there's so much more, and this is barely, barely skimming the surface. And this is the story that I want to conclude with, which I think really will bring this home. So St. Thomas Aquinas, at the end of his life, he received a vision of, of grandeur, majesty, this majestic vision of the other, God. We don't have the details of what that was, except for the impact that this had on his life. Now keep in mind that he wrote thousands of pages, so prolific of an author. I mean, think about it. As I was talking about earlier, he could write three books at the same time because he had three different secretaries or however many he used. Like he was highly prolific. And he taught and he taught and he taught and he taught. Like this was his life. And in the last, his greatest work, the Summa Theologia, which was, you know, it's like five volumes, he actually had to leave it unfinished because after he had this mystical vision of, of the other, of the divine reality, he, he just was like, I'm done. I can't keep going. Like, this is, this is not what I'm doing. And his brother... Uh, excuse me, religious brother, his friend and his secretary, a guy named Brother Reginald, he asked him, hey, Thomas, Brother Thomas, Father Thomas, what's going on here? Like, 
you're not finished with your book. This is supposed to be your greatest of projects here. What's going on? Help us out. And this is St. Thomas's response. I can write no more. I have seen things that make my writings like straw. This is the doctor of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas. We call him the angelic doctor because of his teachings. But in comparison with God's reality, the greatest of human teachings about who God is, is like straw. It's like nothing, nearly. It's not nothing. <laughs> that is to say it is something. Like there is real merit and real value in teaching because God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. And teaching has its real, real place for all Christians. However, it has its, its own limited capacity. Knowing things up here in our head are not going to make us holy. Being in the presence of God constantly, that is what makes us holy. God calls us to love. And that's our, our mission. That is our goal. There's nothing else. So hopefully this kind of brings everything into a relative sense of like, hey, this is helpful, but this is not everything. God is greater than all this. And it's nice to kind of get a glimpse of what God has given to us and our access to that. But then also having this real joy and excitement for the full revelation of God and the beatific vision on the last day. Please, God, may we be out there all together. So I just want to thank you all for taking part in this series with me. It's been a joy and a privilege to do. I have uh, really enjoyed doing this and kind of preparing these, kind of brought a little synthesis of thinking into my own life, and I always keep these notes, so I might use these one day as well. May God bless you, and may this summer be a beautiful and blessed summer for you. And for those who are joining me at St. Anne's, going to miss you all. It's kind of tough to leave. Uh, and for those who are listening to this from other places, well, I guess you can keep listening in whatever little way. <laughs> all right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.